Hey everyone, this is Hallie. And this is Adrian. And together we are the, the Bottle, Bottle Blondes. Blondes. This is the Unstuffy Wine Podcast for funny people. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, such as Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, and more. Please download an episode and leave us a review. And you can also follow us on social media at our Instagram, at Bottle Blondes Wine. We'll have pictures of the wine we drink for the podcast and our other adventures in wine. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Bye. Bye. Yes, and it is the uh, weekend of our independence yes, and the year of our Lord. Uh, year of our Lord. 2021. 2021. We're on the other side of uh, a pandemic, global pandemic, potentially entering another one in the near future. Yeah. But hey, we're vaxxed, whatever. <laughs> we are vaxxed and we are here to uh, explore a region that we uh, have not talked about yet, but have, you know, referenced uh, via. Grape episodes or touched on, I think, a little bit in our, in our Australia episode. But yeah, it is South Africa. Yeah, episode 20, South Africa. We're really excited. Um, I didn't really know much about this region going into it other than the very kind of brief facts that we touched on in WSET 2. I actually cracked open our WSET book and I was like, there's not a lot of information in here either. So it was fun to dive in. Yeah, we had to go to multiple resources. Um, yeah, just a little, little nugs here, little nugs mm-hmm. there and to coming together into one big uh, picture. Can so. I say how great it was to research a region that's like everything's in English? Oh, <laughs> yeah. It, it was really nice. Everything is in English, but a lot of the, lot uh, of the areas. like areas and names of like mountains and rivers and things are of uh, Dutch. Yeah, Dutch. <laughs> Dutch. And we also should note that uh, a large population down there also still speaks Africans. Um, but yeah, the Dutch, like, okay, I, I butcher a little bit of French, I butcher a little bit of Spanish, I butcher a little bit of Italian, but I'm not the worst. Dutch, I I don't know where to go with Dutch. Sorry, yeah, it there's nowhere to go just, except it's, down. It's, it's bad. a lot of uh, vowels in a row is what it is. And so consonants it's like, that seem like they're in the wrong place. Like, yeah, K's all making love with L's. And, uh, and V's. There's a lot of V's and O's with umlauts. And, oh. Yeah, it's actually um, quite a, a, a quite a few different languages are spoken in South Africa. Mm-hmm. English, Afrikaans, uh, I'm probably going to pronounce this right, is Zulu? Is Zulu? Oh, yeah. Um, so some native languages are actually uh, still spoken there prior to the colonization uh, of the country. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, get into some quick South Africa facts. Quick if facts. that sounds good. Quick facts. Okay. <laughs> South Africa is the eighth largest wine producer in the world, and it dominates wine production from Africa. So there are several other countries in Africa that um, do produce wine, including Nambia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, and uh, Swaziland. I think Egypt was also in there and I didn't include it. Anyways, uh, South Africa also sits between two oceans, which makes it super unique. So it is literally smack in between. It's like the little point in between the Atlantic Ocean and the Indian Ocean. Uh, Most of its wine production takes place on the Atlantic coast, but I don't really quite know where they cross, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, like who made the boundary line between the oceans, (laughs) not the oceans? Do you think one, one old man sits on the boundary line in a ship and is like... 
This is the boundary. <laughs> you are now crossing into the Indian Ocean from the Atlantic. Oh my God, what a job. He's crusty for sure. He's crusty for sure. He probably has a pet seagull um, or penguin. We'll get into that later. Oh my God. Yeah, I wonder if there is a light, like at least a lighthouse at least. Right? Being like this is the, we're going to have to look it up. We're going to have to look that up. Well, how, where exactly is the border between the Atlantic Ocean, the Indian Ocean, and who... Who regulates that shit? Yes. <laughs> um, another fun fact about South Africa is that it grows a unique grape. Um, Hallie's going to get way more into this. But it was specially designed for the dry, warm climate of South Africa, and it's called Pinotage. It's a cross between Pinot Noir and Cinso. It's very difficult to grow, and so there's a lot of bad representations out there on the market because um, you see a lot of cheap Pinotage. But Pinotage can be really, really interesting and... Um, gritty but also picking up those really cool fruity uh spicy notes from from pinot lawrence and so um almost all of the south african wine comes from the western cape which is what we're going to be mostly focusing on today and that's the area that stretches along the west coastline borders the atlantic ocean and the biggest growing area within the western cape is the coastal region uh we're going to be focusing on two sub-regions from that today swartland and stellenbosch and it's very hot down there. So lots of big, full-bodied wines. Uh, we're going to be tasting some Shannon, lots of Bordeaux blends, etc. Um, and then to get a little bit into the classification system down there. So South Africa, you're going to encounter something called the wine of origin system or the WO. And underneath the wine of origin system, you have four categories that spin out. So you have geographical units and then underneath that, you have regions. Underneath that, you have districts. And underneath that, you have wards. So Stellenbosch and Swartland, which we're going to be focusing on, are considered districts. And the Western Cape would be the geographical unit. And um, the coastal region would be the region. Yeah. There, um, yeah, there's five uh, geographical units. The Western Cape, the Northern Cape, Eastern Cape. KwaZulu. Uh, and... <laughs> they were like, let's get away from the Cape system and come up with a great name. <laughs> yeah. KwaZulu. KwaZulu and Natal, which is just, yeah, it's a hyphenated name. And then Limpopo? Uh, Limpopo. I don't know if I'm uh, saying Limpopo. that quite right. But yes, very, very small productions coming from those, uh, those last three. Um, I don't mean to make fun of any native words, but Limpopo sounds like a scary doll that you would get as a child. <laughs> like a, a clown doll yeah. that would sit in the corner of your room and stare at you at night. Oh my god, I Limpopo. had one of those. I did have a doll. I mostly was like a stuffed animal girl, but I did Me have too. like one doll. And it was like, and I would hide it <laughs> in the stuffed animal bin. But since it was like a cage, yep. right? Like sometimes at night, if the moonlight was coming just right, it would hit the cage. And one night it was shining right on the fucking doll's face. Just like, it was like staring out like, trap me in this thing of bears, you bitch. <laughs> yeah, that's Limpopo. That's Limpopo. <laughs> Uh, uh, don't don't get a limpopo for your child. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. Um, do you want to go into the most uh, widely grown varietals? Oh yes, I sure do. Uh, so it's a uh, from top uh, we have um, Chenin Blanc, which is actually one of the first grapes that was ever brought to the region. More on mm -hmm. that in a minute. Uh, Columbard, which is a white grape. It's a white blending grape, um, very often used in. 
brandy production. So you find it a lot in um, Bordeaux and the southwest of France. Um, they also make decent wine, but I don't, I don't think I've ever really seen it just on its own. Yeah, uh, very rarely have I seen it on its own. I feel like it's sometimes mixed with like Uni Blanc, maybe from France. Yeah, Uni Blanc's another um, blending grape that's also used for brandy production. Yeah, I think Colombard. Actually, maybe Colombard doesn't go in brandy. Maybe Colombard's just like a white kind of neutral grape. Hmm. But yeah, they grow a lot of it there. Um, and then I, well, I actually don't think I put these from like top to bottom. I just know that Chenin and Colombard are up there. And then uh, for Reds, Cabernet Sauvignon. Syrah, I guess I, every single time I saw it written down as Shiraz. Shiraz, yeah, it goes both by Shiraz yeah. and Syrah there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably some of that Australian uh, influence. Mm -hmm. uh, Pinotage, Merlot, and then uh, South Africa does beautiful Sauvignon Blanc, mm -hmm. Chardonnays in the cooler regions. Um, there's also some Semillon Girl there, and they do white Bordeaux blends there in addition oh, to shows. red Bordeaux blends. So. Yeah. Yep, those are the main main grapes. Main grapes. Um, something else fun that is is pretty popular in South Africa is sparkling wine production. So sparkling wine production there that follows the traditional method, um, the champagne method as it's known in European countries, um, is called something slightly different there, but it's called Methode Cap Classique or Method Cap Classique. Um, so if you've ever grabbed a bottle of Graham Beck from the grocery store, that's a South African sparkling wine. I kept almost calling it Glenn Beck. <laughs> <laughs> no, Adrian. very different. Very different. No, no, it is not Glenn Beck. Graham Beck's very different. Very good. What happened to him? Did he like go die? In I a... had to look up. Is Glenn Beck dead? Sadly, no. <laughs> he should be on his way out. Although we were blessed by the death of Donald Rumsfeld this week. So, anyways, you can tell which uh, side of the political spectrum we lead on. <laughs> um, the last fun fact I have is. Uh, pest control down in South African wineries. There's a lot of snails that pop up in the vineyards and there's a winery down there. I, I assume multiple wineries, but the one that was featured online called, oh goodness, Verninog. It's Dutch. <laughs> it's Dutch. Uh, there's a winery down there that, that keeps hundreds and hundreds of ducks. There's these runner ducks and they run out into the vineyard and they eat all the snails and there's a man named Denzel who literally has the title of duck handler and he helps breed them and care for them and then he basically shepherds them into the vineyard every day and they eat all the snails and the pests and they leave all the good things and that way the winery doesn't have to use pesticides and it's so wonderful oh my god there's so many of them there's so many of them and, and they're, they're like, like in a nice night like a nice little row and they just run out and you're wiggle. doing the best doing the... impression right now <laughs> <laughs> they are they're like they're little wigglers and they're mm -hmm. they're, they're very long they're was, so long kind of surprised and yes very busy sounding yeah check it out it's an amazing video it's wonderful <laughs> go look up south african duck yes um winery <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit quickly about a little uh, climate and soil stuff going on. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more about the region and uh, what it's like down there. I keep forgetting it is in the southern hemisphere, <laughs> right? So their harvest is a little uh, different. Harvest is in um, Feb February uh, or March, depending on what goes down. Mm -hmm. So like their 
you know, we don't have our 2021 vintages yet here, right. but South Africa has oh, already crazy. picked their 2021 vintages and they're maturing in their vats I didn't even think about that. What a wild concept time is. God, that <laughs> equator is a bitch, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, as Adrian mentioned earlier, it is a pretty Mediterranean climate. There's a lot of influence from the oceans. Uh, so there's inland mountain chains, uh, which help create the rain shadows. Uh, so areas closer uh, to the coast will uh, get more rain than the inland areas. And something that really helps kind of temper all that humidity from the rain is this gale force wind called the Cape Doctor. <laughs> and the Cape Doctor. <laughs> Cape Doctor's coming to visit. He comes in and he's just like, no mildew, no fungal diseases on these grapes. Have your daily dose of wind. <laughs> So. I'm like imagining like a little animated like don't forget <laughs> I think there's some very clever names for some of the things that I you know was coming up with I was like oh cape doctor adorable. oh the cape doctor uh, so. yeah there's lots of fun names down there there's a lot of different names for the soil types uh which I didn't really get into but I did notice them popping up as I was researching the actual wines that we'll be tasting later but um, there's a lot of varied soil types from the, you know, the geological uplifts of all of the mountains. Another cool thing is, I'm not sure what caused this, but a lot of the mountains there are flat-topped mountains. Yeah. So they're like like little tabletops. Um, and there's something unique there that's like a red, rich red soil type uh, known as Cape Sandstone. But other than that, there's a lot of... Um, Gravel, schist, clay, sand, those are kind of the main soil types. A lot of what you're going to see in the Western Cape is similar to what you would see in um, southwestern France. It's yeah. kind of the way, the connection I made. It's a very, like, very, very, very varied. It's a very varied <laughs> variety <laughs> of variable soils. <laughs> but also uh, minerals, like there's large uh, oh, yeah. it's gold like, reserves there. There's gold reserves. I mean, the, the diamond rush, there's all kinds of crazy... Um, yeah, minerals and precious stones and things like that in South Africa. It's very, very mineral rich. Yeah, mineral rich. That's what I was going for instead of very varied. Very, I liked very varied. <laughs> very varied variety of various volatile soils. I just really volcanoes. love a good tongue twister with a lot of bees. It's really, <laughs> really I, think, I think we should publish a series of tongue twisters, of wine tongue twisters. They all have to start with me. They all have to start with me. <laughs> really limiting myself here. <laughs> Well, a good thing a lot of stuff in wine does start with V. Vinters, mm. vinificating, That's various true. varietals. <gasps> Boom! Boom! Venice vinifera. Uh, <laughs> right, that was a fun sidebar. That was a fun little segue. <laughs> um, so yeah, very dramatic coastline, lots of mountains. Uh, very, 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 very <laughs> beautiful. Um, all right, should we go to uh, Hallie's History Corner? Yeah, <laughs> let's go to let's go to the History Corner and uh, let's make a little... So I, I came up with a little statement um, to acknowledge 
a lot of the, the, the ways that wine came about in South Africa, um, very different from a lot of the European regions. And I just kind of want to acknowledge that most of its production um, over the 300-year the history of South African wine uh, was carried out by slaves that were brought over from the Dutch colonists from the Dutch East India Company. Um, and even after the abolition of slavery in 1834, a lot of workers down there were still subjected to lots of unfair labor practices. Uh, there was a practice known as the DOP or the TOT system. I'm not sure if those have different pronunciations, but basically laborers down there were paid in distilled alcohol instead of wages. So that caused a lot of <laughs> rampant alcoholism amongst the, the poorest laboring groups, which uh, predominantly were black down there. And even as recent as 2011, the Human Rights uh, Watch deemed that working conditions in the Western Cape were abusive. Uh, wine and fruit workers were working long hours and harsh weather conditions, no food, no water, uh, no access to toilets, and they were often exposed to toxic pesticides without any sort of protective gear. So they also earned extremely low wages. They were prevented from joining unions. Um, there's a uh, documentary that came out in 2016 called Bitter Grapes from a Dutch journalist named Tom, uh, Tom Heinemann. It's kind of shed light on this, and it actually it did a lot of good alongside the Human Rights Watch report. Um, so things are getting better now in the industry. There's a lot of auditing and farms uh, that the, the government is doing, uh, increasing labor standards and banning uh, farms that get really low grades or, or, or poor, serve, or, sorry, are um, treating workers really poorly from even selling in the European Union. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of change going on down there, but it's crazy to know how poorly the laborers were treated up until even recent. So I just want to acknowledge that before we move on into the history, because it's a lot of colonialism going on. It really, it really was. And I mean, honestly, we all know South Africa was kind <laughs> yeah. of doing some garbage racist shit yeah. all the way up until <laughs> the 90s. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. So lots of, uh, lots of terrible things going on down there amongst the uh, good wine production. Yes. Uh, all right, so as we've you've already heard us like name drop multiple times, uh, the Dutch East, Dutch East India Company uh, was basically like 1600s Amazon. Like it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was fucking everywhere. It was. It was like the main trading thing, and their big thing was bringing goods from uh, India mm -hmm. to Europe. Uh, and the best way to do that at the time was going around Africa yep. because they didn't quite, I mean, even though there were trade routes into Asia. I don't from think there were like canals yet and stuff like that. Yeah. It was just, you know, always figuring out new ways to travel. <laughs> <laughs> That's innovation for you. Hey. So in the 1600s, uh, the Dutch East India Company wanted to um, establish a more like secure post uh, supply chain outlet in uh, South Africa, so people would have a place to stop and rest, uh, get provisions for the next part of their journey on the way to India, and then eventually it became a stop for prisoners coming from England mm. on their way to the penal colony in Australia, which is how a lot of which is how some grapes got to Australia was vis-a-vis -vis South Africa. Ah, yeah, uh... so. Um, so circa 1951, Dutch surgeon Jan van Rijbeck was assigned to manage the station. Wait, not 1950. So, yeah, because a six inverted is a nine. 
Sorry, guys. No, it's okay. I didn't know how to pronounce his name, so you're doing better than I am. 1651, uh, Ryback was assigned to the station, and he was basically told, like, hey, you got to plant fruits, you got to plant vegetables, and then, you know, trade with the indigenous native tribes to get livestock Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of make this thing jamming. He was like like South African OG Jeffrey Bezos. Yes, (laughs) he was. Uh, And the the big thing that the Dutch East India wanted him to do was to make uh, grape juice or wine for the sailors to prevent scurvy. Aha! So there were actually some native grapes growing there, but they were hella gross. Yep, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I read too, and the Dutch East India Company was like, um, we need something good to drink, because we're on the sea like a lot. Yeah, so they brought two varietals from France. They brought Chenin Blanc and Muscat of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. And uh, they planted those, and it went well. So the first harvest was in uh, 1659. In 1685, his successor, Simon van der Stel, came in and he kind of bought more land. I don't know if that's what he really did, acquired more land, uh, and then expanded into areas kind of beyond Cape Town. And he uh, was the founder of the OG wine estate there, the Constantina Wine Estate. Uh-huh. Yeah, so after his death in 1712, the estate was kind of broken up into these three smaller, like, sub-estates. Mm-hmm. And the main one um, had this house on it that he had built, and this one was called Groot Constantina, which just means great. You know, Groot, like from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then in 1779, Groot was sold to the Clote family, who then made additional viticulture improvements, and they started making that famous dessert wine um, out of Muscat that Napoleon was like, oh my God, this is the tits. <laughs> is this is the best wine. Uh, this wine is the titties. I'm Napoleon. Um, so the group was with the clothes for quite a while uh, until 1885 and then the government bought it for like wine and agricultural experimentation and of course as governments often do they do a great job running things a massive fire destroyed everything in 1925 (laughs) so um, the whole area kind of did be restored and it reached its full potential again in 69 uh, and it became part of the South African Wine Culture Museum and then in 1993, nice. it was reacquired by the Groot Constantina Trust, who began making that famous wine again. Oh. And they had their first vintage of the new type of sweet. The new uh, Muscatel The new sweet, the sweet Constantina in 2003. Um, and I'm just going to backtrack just a little bit here because we kind of need to talk more about some of the recent history. Yeah. Um, and how we South Africa kind of got to. Got to know. Yeah, yeah, got to now with the with the wine with the wines with the wines. Yeah, basically, I don't know how far back you're going, but South Africa encountered a lot of hurdles along the way, especially in a more contemporary history. Like they got hit really hard with phylloxera, um, and then they ripped out a bunch of of grapes that were growing there and started replanting uh, vis-a-vis the co-op systems that were popping up at the time. Um, other like World War One also really heavily depressed the area economically. Um, yeah, there was like, a, and then obviously, you know, with the um, with the apartheid system down there, people were not accepting <laughs> exports from South Africa. They were not trading with South Africa, so stuff really wasn't going anywhere. 
Um, and that caused obviously a lot of economic depression. I think you probably have more details. Oh yeah, no, that's that's basically kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of started in the 1900s and like 1902 especially, that's when all of the vine planting was like super epping out of control. Yeah. They were only they were planting the shit out of Senso and people were either like literally dumping it into rivers and lakes because it was bad. Oh yeah, the or, wine lake. Yeah. I thought I was like, wait, I read that there was a wine lake and I was like, does that mean there was actually like a lake of wine? It just means there was like an overproduction of wine. And yeah. And but they would dump it out into the rivers and streams and lakes and things like that because it was a lot of crappy wine. And a lot of wine was used for brandy production. I think it was like 70% of the wine, the grapes grown were used for brandy and only 30% was for um, table wines. Yeah, it was, it was nuts. And then yeah, phylloxera happened. And then oh, also yeah. there was this third thing that happened, which was the second Boer War which is spelled B-O-E-R. Mm -hmm. And this was like a huge beef with England because England, of course, was like coming in yeah. again with their nosy asses and being yeah. like, oh, you have gold and diamonds. Hmm? Mm, so, you have a lot of minerals. Mm. So it was basically about gold. Surprise. People are greedy fucks. Uh, <laughs> <the> <laughs> we all just drink some wine and get along. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> so like it was just destroyed six different ways till Sunday. Uh, and then, yeah. And then to kind of fix the problems of this in like 1905, the government appointed a commission to deal with, um, with overproduction, yeah, essentially which ended up becoming the, the co-op, uh, and that money, uh, all that money that the government was pouring in actually backfired yeah. because it allowed for the creation of this kind of like bigger mega co-op called the KWV and I'm yeah. not going to pronounce it. I was like, I'm not even going to, it was the longest <laughs> name I've ever seen. It's Dutch. It's the, the KV or the KWV. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds imposing anyways. It's, and they're like, uh, yeah, like the KGB. It's like the KGB. <laughs> yeah. They controlled everything. They shut a lot of innovation down. They stagnated, um, a lot of they set all of the pricing. It's like, imagine if you couldn't work with certain distributors, you had to, you had only one choice, only one option. It's basically a monopoly, yeah. except government funded, which makes it terrifying. <laughs> right? Like, mm, mm. look at all this control. Very fun. Um, but yeah, and then this weird thing happened where in order to help kind of control the vines were getting ripped up and replanted with alfalfa yeah. in order to feed ostriches. Because the ostrich, yeah, ostrich feathers were like real popular in the 20s and 30s in in, in the Europe. Yeah. Very fashionable. Yeah. And I mean, they, they are much nicer than chicken feathers. Don't get me wrong. Can you imagine like just showing up to a fancy 20s gala chicken feathers chicken feathers just oh. the cheap chicken feathers oh like, oh my dear constantia <laughs> what is she wearing what is she wearing what does she think oh, she, like she raided the hen house <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and as adrian mentioned not a lot of wine uh, that was being made during this time was exported because of the boycotts mm -hmm. uh, a bunch you know the whole rest of the world it was turns like out <laughs> that uh <laughs> When you uh, have institutional racial seg segregation and commit a lot of humanitarian crimes, people don't want to do business with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so when apartheid ended in 1991, uh, the surplus issues like completely disappeared. Bye -bye. And the KWV was slowly dismantled because exports were up. Uh, and then, yeah, winemakers started coming in from other countries. Yeah. Bringing with them, of course, new ways of... Uh, 
viticulture, winemaking, and bringing in those European varieties like yeah. Syrah, Cab Sauve, Chardonnay, Merlot, and um, starting really diversifying Yay. South Africa's uh, red grape portfolio because as we just mentioned earlier, it was basically just a really Shannon, Muscat, yeah. lots of white wine there. So. so yeah, now there's a whole plethora. Well, that was 300 years in a nutshell. <laughs> thank you, Hallie's History Corner. Oh, yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, should we get into some wines? Yes, uh, let's do it. So we are going to go, we're going to start in Swartland. What a fun name. It's kind of, you know. Swartland. Kind of sounds like fart. Fartland. <laughs> because I'm five. <laughs> Farts are never not funny. That's so true. I saw a sticker on a car the other day that said, MILF, man, I love farting. Oh, my God. And I was like, wow, it's a real statement. But also I laughed a little. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a commitment to really commitment. Share, share the world. But yeah. yes, hilarious bumper sticker. <laughs> um, so Swartland so Swart Swart is land. in the north. Uh, of the north, not in the north, but it's in like the northern area of this smaller region, yeah. uh, the Western Cape that we're talking about. So it's above uh, Stellenbosch, which is what Adrian is going to be talking about. So Swartland is uh, warmer, a little hot, pretty hot, dry. Um, it's about 30 to 40 miles uh, north of Cape Town, and the fertile plains kind of um, grow wheat and then the hills start that hills that start going up into the foot of the mountain are where uh, the vineyards are and the big mountain up there is Pardeberg <laughs> ah the Hernifan the Pardeberg there's, there's two A's in a row so I'm just trying to go with that long A noise I like it I like Pardeberg it mountain. Pardeberg um, so it's a younger viticulture up there than that's happened and happening in the south but there's still like a ton of old vine Chenin Blanc up there that doesn't need a lot of intervention because nice. it's kind of so old and there's just so little minimal irrigation that needs to happen. Yeah, and I was reading that there's like a lot of um, bush vines from like yes. the 50s and 60s that get used for production. And, and that's really cool, really old vines, uh, which means lower yields and better fruit. Yeah, and the vine trunks are like super thick. And then also the larger kind of, uh, what, what's the it canopy? called? Canopy, yeah. yeah canopy that kind of helps protect the grapes from that like really crazy heat that's cool they're um, like little baby wine trees they just they are they're <laughs> so cute i love bush vines um sardinia has a bunch of bush mm. vines as well but theirs is more like protecting it from the wind versus mm -hmm. the sun even though it's still really as hot in sardinia but we're not talking about italy um but yeah they also grow shiraz pinotage um, oh, yeah, and the canopy also helps cut back from um, the mildew and the fungal diseases. Um, oh, not, not, the, not the canopy, the heat, sorry. Uh, the heat helps with the mildew and the fungal diseases uh, up there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, mention the bush vines. Uh, the dominant soil here is something called Malmesbury Shale, and Malmesbury is just... It's, it sounds very British. It does. Malmesbury Shale. <laughs> I would like to do my countertops with a nice Malmesbury shale. Please. Oh, I'm sorry. The exporter is allowed to Malmesbury shale. Oh, that is a shame. Sorry, Sir Reginald. You'll have to go with another type of stone for your countertops <laughs> in your mansion. Well, I'm quite disappointed. That's quite all right. I shall go hit myself now. <laughs> What's the thing that the priests used to do with the, you know... Flog themselves? Yeah. But I don't know with what. Oh, just a flog? So weird. <laughs> God, 
God, old priests were weird. God. <laughs> anyway. Religion's weird. Religion's weird. So sorry. The dominant soil is this shale with pockets of granite. And um, the closer you get to the foothills of the Pardeberg, ah. uh, it's very well draining. So those like gigantic ass like vines need to go super, super deep. Those girls got to work for that water reserves, girl. Get down, get down low, get underground. <laughs> So yeah, fun area. Well, let's get into a Shin and Blanc, shall we? Oh my we? goodness, I'm so thrilled. Ooh, it's been, it's like I got a little sweaty. Bob got a little sweaty. You know what? I feel like a Shin and Blanc, sweaty on the outside, sweaty on oh, the inside. So Shin and Blanc uh, is normally like a stone fruit flavors, can varying from like unripe to ripe. It also can be very like earthy, woolly, hay, lanoliny are some of the things that come up with Shin and Blanc. Um, but this one is very, uh, diverse kind of flavor profile. So this wine is a Secateurs, which is, uh, I'm guessing French for vine pruning shears, or if it's not French, Secateurs is the name of what they call pruning shears in South Africa. Um, it's from the Bodenhorst family. This is a 2019. It's a hundred percent Chenin. So Bodenhorst is three generations owned by some cousins whose fathers were farmers at Groot Constantina. Ah. Yeah. So, um, long history of winemaking there. Uh, Adi Bodenhorst is the winemaker and he studied in, uh, the Northern Rhone, New Zealand, a couple local cellars. And then before starting this winery in Swartland, he was actually, uh, in Stellenbosch before that. So this wine is hand harvested from those old bush vines we were just talking about on those granite slopes. Um, natural fermentation in uh, natural casks with concrete and concrete vats. And the grapes actually came from 28 different sites. Whoa. And they were blended in from the different vessels. So the wood like isn't re-racked into a concrete vessel. It's more like he aged some shit in concrete, aged some shit yeah. in wood, and then did the blend afterwards. Um, which brings me really quickly, because we haven't done it in a while, is a wine term of the week, which <gasps> is something that confused me for a long time, and uh -huh. that's the word racking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> racking is basically the act of taking wine off of its skins, right? And then putting it into another vessel. <laughs> or like, yeah, or taking it off of its lees. Yep from one vessel into another vessel. It's just like moving the wine from one mm -hmm. vessel to another. It's like, imagine you put something in a container and all of the sediment falls to the bottom and then you just take out everything except for the sediment. That's racking. Yep. Uh, so now you know. So when you go wine tasting and people are like, I'm a little racking. You're racking. like, what the hell? Like, what the my, heck like is you, a rack? Like when you, when you hit your nuts on a skateboard <laughs> when you're trying to do a kickflip? Not that type Not of racking. Not that type of racking. <laughs> um, uh. Anyway, the tasty <laughs> notes on this one. Um, on the nose, I got chamomile, fresh cream, pear, lemon, and then on the palate... Um, a little bit more like kind of bitter lemon, like lemon pith, uh, mm -hmm. some of that lanolin, which is like that kind of oily mm -hmm. uh, texture, uh, ripe yellow apple, and some like toasted crostini. What is the tropical fruit that's orange? Mm -hmm. It's not guava. Mm -hmm. Is it papaya? It is papaya. It tastes like papaya to me. Mm. That kind of like um, earthier tropical fruit note, it's a little bit savory almost, like a papaya salad. Mm. But it's not super like 
tropical, like hit you in the face with tropical notes. It, but the papaya, I feel like, is very much there. Yeah, it's it's real delicious. Mm -hmm. um, we've had it sitting out for a little bit. I think uh, like fresh from the fridge, this would be like so. Mm -hmm. But um, nice and clean. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Some shenan can be like real big and, and kind of just like weighs your palate down. This is just kind of nice and fresh. And I think a lot of like shenan sometimes from. Washington can mm -hmm. taste like hot apple juice. Yeah. Which I'm not ever a fan of. <laughs> you don't like hot apple juice? I mean, I like a, I like an intentional cider, cider yeah. in the winter. <laughs> an but, intentional I, but I don't like a hot apple juice wine in the summer. <laughs> nope. No, thank you, ma'am. No, thank you. This is a very nice representation of Shannon. You just like swirl your tongue around in your mm -hmm. in your mouth, and you just feel like it's kind of getting enrobed mm -hmm. in this pleasant little silk pillowcase. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it has a really lovely texture. It's not too heavy. Good find. Oh, good and find, yeah. Wow, cool. Almost like dropped a spit cup. That would have been really uh, <laughs> fucking. It's awesome. okay. Let's do that with the white ones, and not with the red ones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Delicious. So let's move on to the other wine that we, or other grape mm -hmm. that we mentioned earlier, which is the Pinotage. Mm. So Pinotage, as Adrian mentioned, is a cross of South African Cinso, which they were obviously a huge fan of per what we just talked about. Totes. And then they were like, but you know what people love? Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. So it's a mixture of two kind of light-bodied grapes that yeah. ended up turning into a real big boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when two like two small people get together and then they have like a really really tall child. Yeah, and you're like, I don't understand. This. I don't understand how that happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly what this is. So it's like the signature varietal of South Africa, uh, strangely earthy and smoky. But can and has a lot of like black uh, fruit flavors, but can also sometimes take on some red fruit flavors. But then also, but then also some tropical flavors. <laughs> it's confused, you guys. Um, so this was cre uh, the grape was created. This was not a natural grape. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it was created by e I was gonna say Ibrahim just because it sounds Ibrahim. better. But I'm sure his name was Abraham. <laughs> Abraham Isaac Parad, and he was the first professor of viticulture at uh, Stellenbosch University. Oh, hey. Yeah, so he uh, planted some seeds uh, at the university's garden of the time. He actually, like, his house was, like, on the university campus. Oh, so nice. he planted this experimentation in his, like, yard, in oh, his cool. house on campus. <laughs> um, and it was the, like, uh, it was called the Well, Well, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Wellagavalin Experimental Farm. Wellagavalin Experimental Farm. Jesus Christ. Sounds like someplace you send people. I am sorry, you're going to the Wellagavalin Experimental Farm. You can't be in regular society anymore. But I tried to get the right countertops. Don't send me away. I'm sorry, only the shale will do. Goodbye. Tell my father I love him. <laughs> Uh, goddamn. So I he... mean, it makes sense that a weird, <laughs> awkward child would grow up in the experimental farm. <laughs> it's true. That is pinotage. <laughs> um, so he, like, basically planted these seeds, and then in 1927, he got a job at the KW, at the KWV, the, that co-op we were talking about, 
And he was like, peace out. Bye. I got money now. <laughs> All right. So then, like, the garden started to become a little unruly and was basically forgotten about. And then this, like, um, I don't know if he was a student or he was, like, a student and then, like, worked there. But they were, like, tearing, they were tearing up the garden because it was, like, time or whatever. And he was just, like, he, this guy, Charlie Nyehouse, knew about them. So he was like, no, don't take those. No. <laughs> so he like swooped in like Captain America, fucking wow. took, saved these little vines, seedlings, the not the seedlings, saved the pinotage. Uh, and then he gave them to, per, to Pearl's successor, uh, who wow. in 1935 grafted them onto, um, grafted them. And then the best ones of those grafted ones were then selected for propagation. And the very first vintage of pinotage was in 1941. What a crazy story. (laughs) Almost forgotten and wiped off the face of the earth forever by people who were like, we got to get rid of this weird experimental farm, you guys. There's a lot of shit out there we don't have other people to find. Right? Weird. So much weird shit. (laughs) South Africa. Um, So this wine, as I mentioned, it's kind of bizarre. Uh, It can develop something called isomal acetate which is an odor that's described as like banana or pear and some of the alternate names for this like chemical compound is actually banana oil and pear essence um so (laughs) they actually use this chemical to like test gas masks and stuff to see if like if you can smell the banana then the gas mask isn't working very well but if you don't smell the banana then your gas mask is working very well (laughs) yeah that's crazy yeah it's like got low toxicity limits to humans although i mean who knows (laughs) maybe in bigger batches it'll kill you (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) so um Basically, so after apartheid, uh, South Africa was trying to repair its image in multiple ways. <laughs> and one of them was, uh, they were like, oh, let's really embrace this yeah, pinotage. And um, they were really, everyone was on board with pinotage. And then some like, you know, wine snobs came and then they're like, mm, this is fucking disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pinotage is not widely embraced by like, wine critics and and it's not considered a very elevated grape yeah it's got some problems but i you know it's one of those things where with the right uh you know growing conditions and care in the cellar it can have really nice uh examples so um basically after the image of pinotage got shat on growers were like oh let's switch to our bordeaux blend things and now we're kind of back again in a pinotage kind of renaissance of um some really nice examples coming out of there Delicious. Right? So, um, oh God. So the wine is also prone to volatile acidity, which is that uh, uh, yeah. nail polish remover I thing. I remember and that, us talking about this in our Weird Wines episode. Yeah. Yeah. And the, it can become like super over like extracted. So you want to be careful with like not keeping it on its skins too long. Uh-huh. Or otherwise, like it's going to get these really like burnt, gross flavors that will sometimes oh, yeah. happen. Yeah. I've heard yeah. Pinotage can kind of get like a a tire yeah taste. like ashy yeah. like road road rage incident <laughs> i don't know um and another problem they have so many problems oh my goodness <laughs> we swear this wine is probably good it we is. hope um sometimes they have very low acidity because their ph levels are too high so sometimes people will uh, acidify the wine to give it a little bit more because it's fine on tannins it's just like the acidity is kind of like 
Interesting. So it goes from like zero acidity to like volatile acidity and like yeah. fast and the furious style. Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, and it's actually so, but yeah, I mean, the country still embraces it. It's required in Cape blends. Oh, that's right, which uh, is a combination of Pinotage and Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, it actually is. A, they require a, at least 30%, max 70% of Pinotage in a Cape blend. And right now it's uh, sitting about like the sixth most planted uh, grape. And Pinotage is actually also grown in New Zealand, Australia, and some parts of the U.S. and Canada. Ta-da. So let's try one from Swartland. Yay. All right. Oh, God. I am just nailing this pouring thing today. Oh, it's okay. I didn't I think I set stuff up ergonomically. <laughs> moving around beep, beep, this. Boop, boop. Moving around that. So this is a 2019 100% Pinotage from Rybeck Cellars. And um, Ryback is the name of the valley in the Swartland area. So this was uh, done in what I'm calling, I guess, semi-neutral French oak barrels because it said like, oh, we put these in barrels after second or third fill. I was like, is it take I saw fill too. I'm guessing it's like, you know, new, new-ish and then neutral, right? Yeah, I don't, yeah. To me, this does taste like it has some new French oak flavor, but I, cause to me, I thought new, an oak became neutral after like the sixth vintage, but maybe it's after the third. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but anyway, so Ryback Cellars is actually a community of multiple families, uh, which started, uh, which was started by nine farmers in 1941, which was pretty brave because 1941 was when World War II was happening. Oh, yeah. So. There was, they were struggling down there to make some wine, but they were really resilient and wanted to keep it going. Um, yeah, so on the nose. It's crazy. It's uh, I got a little banana, <laughs> strawberry, little rose, some vanilla, and coffee. And then on the palate. see the coffee. I feel like it's like a... It's a little bit of Sharpie there, which could indicate some volatile acidity. And then... It's just very syrupy smelling, but not not heavy smelling, just like that, like, boy, it's like boysenberry. Yeah, it's bizarre. And then, yeah, on the palate, um, like, kind of brambly, like, hmm. rhubarb jam and pie crusts, like some cedar. I got a little kind of that ashy, tiry thing, but also, like, some plum skin. Um, tannins are pretty aggressive. Yeah, the tannins are aggressive. The acidity is kind of... It's not too bad. It's honestly, it's a lot livelier on the palate than I would have expected from those those uh, fl- small smell notes. Smell notes. Yeah, smell notes. Nose <laughs> notes. Um, yeah. So these these vines were grown closer to the the other mountain range, which I'm going to butcher right now. No, actually, this is easy to pronounce. The Castleberg. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah. Um, and this was grown on prehistoric sandstone and shale soils. And I don't know if these were bush vines. I think their Chenin Blanc is the bush vines. Mm-hmm. Their Pinotage might be just like regular trellis uh, style. I've decided that I no longer need the shale countertops, but I would like to go with the ancient sunstone. You're taking me back. I came, I came to pick you up from the experimental farm. Thank you. You are my favorite countertop boy. Thank you. They've been feeding me with, with soylent green and... <laughs> and pinotage skins. Pinotage skins that the cows didn't want to eat. This is, uh, it's a wild ride. Mm, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I don't know if I love it. It's, it's like, it has a real green finish. I kind of want it with food. 
like I think it needs mm. kind of like a like some barbecue teriyaki sweet yeah. sweet meat to kind of help bring out some of the um, the red fruits that it does have or the, yeah. red, the red and black fruits that it does have going on I think need to be brought out a little bit more and I think I you agree. could do that with like the right food I think that's yeah so. I think that's right on right on the nose uh, we're gonna take a little bit of a break uh, and we're gonna see you guys all in episode two when we're gonna explore Stellenbosch and Hallie has a, a fun surprise yes we're going to play South African Jeopardy <laughs> And uh, also, we're going to have the return of the blind tasting. Bum, bum. Bum, bum. And of course, seven things. And of course, the good seven things. So yeah, make sure you uh, download or you subscribe so that you get episode two of our South African collection. I feel like I'm selling like <laughs> mood tapes. Pure moods. Pure moods. Yes. <laughs> Tune in for South Africa <laughs> Pure Moods 2. <laughs> Buy Bye. the cassette collection. <laughs> uh,